Welcome to the Mormon Marriages Podcast. I am Angeline Bagley. And I am Nate Bagley. As members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we believe that the most important thing in life is your family, and the backbone of your family is your marriage. So on this podcast, we talk with couples from the church who provide amazing insights into what it takes to create a marriage that will make you look forward to eternity. It would mean a lot to us if you subscribe to the show, uh, review it on iTunes, and reach out to us if you have any questions, suggestions, or ideas to make it even better. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey, guys. Hi. We're back. We are here in your ears. And the first thing I want us to do before we move forward is to notice how lovely the sound quality is. We have received several complaints. <laughs> Not complaints, just just kind messages from many listeners saying, hey, Which did I'm you glad know? They did. Yeah, I'm glad you let us know. Did you know that the last couple episodes have been really, really quiet and that we have to turn our our mp3 players or our iphones or our car stereos up to full blast in order to even hear it and we were like what the heck is going on i was doing everything i could and it would sound perfect when it was on GarageBand, but then for some reason i'd export it thinking it would be the same but it was so quiet and so we found this button deep in the preferences folder <laughs> very very deep and it says export at full volume and it's automatically clicked but guess what if it's clicked it exports at half volume which is so stupid so we unclicked it and hopefully the volume at which you are hearing us right now is reasonable and you don't have to crank your volume up to maximum to hear yes so we apologize if that was an inconvenience in past episodes hopefully all has been set right in the world maybe i'll go back and re re upload all the episodes one that'd be day. great that'd be really <laughs> nice of you to do that um what else do you want to share with everybody before we that. dive into today's episode go ahead and talk about your challenge um not a challenge it's kind of an experiment so if you are a wife and you are listening right now um i am teaming up with certified gottman therapist and licensed marriage and family therapist laura heck She's a really good friend of mine. She's spoken at several of the date nights that we've done together. She's been on my other podcast, Growth Marriage, on several occasions. And we just noticed that there are a lot of wives who are feeling overwhelmed and burned out and tired and feeling a little bit disconnected from their husbands and maybe a little lonely. And um, they're doing a lot of the work, the emotional and mental labor in their relationship to keep it alive. And they're feeling tired. And we were like, enough of this. We, we think that, um, that life can be better than that. And mm-hmm. so we put together an experiment that we are going to be launching for wives in January. And the goal is to kick January off by giving you some really cool tips and strategies and tactics that you can use inside your marriage to get more of what you want by doing less. And I know it sounds kind of crazy and counterintuitive, especially if you're the kind of person who's used to doing everything and taking on, taking care of everybody before you take care of yourself. And it's not a self-care like, uh, like challenge. It's a 30 day experiment. And we're going to run you through a bunch of really cool experiments where you get to go test out some cool strategies that are research based in your marriage and see if the results change. And we're really excited about it. So if you want to learn more, if you want to be the first people to know 
all the details for this experiment, go to epicwivesexperiment.com and just type in your email address. Unless you're listening to this a little bit later, then um, all the information will be up on that page. Awesome. We'll link really to excited that. about it. It's going to be awesome. Cool. So today's episode's phenomenal. We had so much fun talking to Jenny and JJ Hyde. They came to really cool couple. So cool. And such an important topic too. Yeah. So Jenny was diagnosed with bipolar type two mm-hmm. when she was a teenager, which I didn't even know there were types of bipolar. Yeah. So I'm already learning things again. There's so, there's so many stigmas around mental health and Jenny and JJ have become advocates for mental health together and they do a phenomenal job at navigating it in their marriage. And I'm so excited for you to hear their story. So without further ado, we hope you enjoy the episode. Okay. All right. Welcome to the podcast guys. Thank you. Thank you. So we're here with Jenny and JJ and Jenny reached out to us. She uh, has a blog called the Lotus letter. Is that how yep. you, I figured that's how you pronounce it. Yep. But, um, and she is very open with telling her story and I will let her take charge of that. But we're excited to have you guys here. Thank you. We're excited to be here. So first of all, let's hear about your love story. How did you guys meet? Um, so JJ and I met in high school. We were both basketball players and um, my team had just won districts. So we went to um, Applebee's to celebrate and we are super hyper. Like we just won the game, like just adrenaline still going mm-hmm. and we're all just talking around the table and all of a sudden we see the Valley the Valley View boys basketball team walk in and they were known for having some cute boys on the team so <laughs> we were like really excited and we all wrote down our names and numbers on a napkin and had the waitress deliver it to their table So I actually had a boyfriend at the time, but my teammates were like, just write your name down. Like, just Mm -hmm. put your number on there. So I did. Yeah. (laughs) So I did. (laughs) And they sent the the waitress sent the napkin over there. Um, And then the three, I'm guessing team captains came over to just see who is who, Mm -hmm. you know? So they asked us all, like, what's your names, blah, blah, blah. And I was the only number that JJ put in his phone. But apparently, another guy on his team called Dibs on me, like an unofficial Dibs. So he didn't text me that night. He actually texted me two years later. Two years? <laughs> two years. Two years. Yeah. Wow. Did you, text- did you remember who she was for two years? I want to know what you were thinking when you, did you just find her number in your phone and you're like... Yeah, it was actually before church. So I... I was on a hammock with uh, at my cousin's house. Just you know, I think church was probably at, at noon, so I was flipping through my phone, just bored, and saw Jenny's name. I mean, that's kind of who it was this? Just, yeah, yeah it's like who's this? You know. So I mean, I remembered there being a cute girl on that Middleton basketball team, and that's why she was the only one that I put in the phone because, well, you know, Middleton wasn't known for cute girls. Well, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Middleton girls. Sorry, Middleton girls. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, yeah. So I think we probably texted back and forth for a couple of weeks before I, I, I made an excuse to go up there and uh, take her on a date as well as watch my little brother play some football. Let That's me great. just say this really fast, though. I knew of JJ because there is a girl on my basketball team 
that thought he was so handsome and would bring like newspaper clippings legit to practice and be like, did you guys hear about JJ's game? JJ Hyde's game. And I was just, so I knew who he was, but. And little did you know. Little did I know that I was going to marry the Valley husband. View quarterback, the superstar. Look oh, at his face. quarterback, <laughs> basketball. <laughs> yeah, that's me. Classic yeah. high school. Yep. Love I was, story. I was totally the. The high school quarterback all star too. <laughs> totally, it's overrated. Very funny. No, it was, it was <laughs> you were the jack of all trades, but no, I was. That that means I was the guy who was not good at really. <laughs> jack of all trades. It's like mediocre at everything. Didn't you win like a miming competition? <laughs> oh my gosh, that's awesome! This is not the time. Like I'm blushing. You are blushing. <laughs> I never blush. That's really uncomfortable. Wish, wish you wouldn't have brought that up. Okay. Thanks very Why? much. It's great. You got to have some roasting. Yeah. <laughs> People got to know. Not very often she gets this something stuff. that I'm truly embarrassed about. <laughs> brings it up. Oh, it's great. And take it away, Jenny. And so we went on a date and it was like instant chemistry. Um, I was actually at BYU-Idaho and he was at University of Utah. Um, We're and, both from Idaho. So this was yeah. happening in Idaho. Yeah, this okay. happened in Idaho. Then I went to BYU-Idaho. He was at University of Utah. And, um, we just, it was instant chemistry and we, um, dated pretty seriously before his mission. He served an LDS mission in Peru and we, he wrote me letters every week and I tried to write him back every week. <laughs> yeah, there was a little lapser for a little bit. <laughs> the story almost ended there. Yeah. <laughs> would you continue to write letters even when you didn't get one back or would you just oh, yeah. write? Every week he wrote me. Yeah, I think I did almost every week, but it was, it was you know, you didn't really know um, that you weren't getting one because when I was sending one, it was, you know, three, four weeks before I'd get one. That, okay, yeah. so was this it so took actual a while to get there, letters, right? not yes. email? Oh, yeah, it was yeah. before the emailing. Oh, okay. So um, then he got home from his mission. I was at the airport. It, there's a spark still there. Uh-huh. And we got engaged three weeks later. <laughs> wow. That's so, so Whoa, three weeks. Yeah. Those letters must have been good. The letters were good, and it just hit off right where it was before. Cool. And um, that's great. Yeah, and so then we got married four months later. So we got engaged the day before Thanksgiving, and then got married in March. So yeah, four months later. Mm-hmm. It's always nice to hear a successful missionary. Yeah. Love story. Yeah, there was a few bumps along the way. Um, I definitely dated around when he was gone. He told Which me is to do that. Good. So. <laughs> right. And, um, but you know, like I said, when we saw each other, like you can even see on the video that my mom took, I watched it the other day actually. And it's just like, we give each other a hug and then we pull away and are just kind of looking at each other like, okay, like. Two years later, mm-hmm. here we go. That's you know, really sweet. So I bet that'll be cool to have that video. Yeah, for it is really fun. A long time. Yeah. So Jenny, tell us a little bit about why you started the Lotus Letter block. Um. So when I was thirteen, um, I got diagnosed with bipolar type two disorder. Mm-hmm. Um. And for a lot of years, I lived in what I describe as isolation. I was scared to tell people that I had it. I was scared mm-hmm. what people would think about me. Um, and one day I just had enough. Like I just thought if heavenly father has given me this trial, if I have this trial in my life, 
then I'm going to do what I can to help other people. Like I, I mean, I have it, like Mm -hmm. I might as well help others, you know, that feel the same way. And so I started a blog and I, right before I pushed submit, I was like, do I do this? Do I like really do this? I'm, I'm literally outing myself as having a mental illness. Mm -hmm. Like, is this really what I want to do? And the thought came to my head, like, if you can help just one person, it'll be worth it. Mm -hmm. And so I submitted the first post or whatever, and I got so much feedback. I had tons of messages from people, um, people calling me, um, in the beginning, it was just, I was so emotional because I realized like people loved me and they, they wanted to love the whole me, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. And I wasn't letting them do that. Um, so that's really why I decided to start it. Um, I just want to help people and I want to put my face next to bipolar disorder Mm -hmm. and not normalize it more like when people use it as a casual, Oh, the weather's so bipolar today. Mm -hmm. Or why is she acting so bipolar? They stop and think about it and see, Oh, Jenny has bipolar and she has two little boys and she's a wife and a college graduate. And she did all these things. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't have to be a negative thing. Mm-hmm. So kind of like destigmatizing, right? Right. Break, that's my, yeah. I always talk about breaking the stigma mm-hmm. and just talking about it openly. So, so what was that like for you? Just paint us a picture maybe of what it was like after you were diagnosed and going through school and your relationship with friends right. and eventually dating. How did that affect? Yeah, definitely. Um, So I was diagnosed at 13 and I mean, I couldn't even drive yet. Like Mm -hmm. I had no idea of how to even fathom what bipolar was. Um, and why I was diagnosed with bipolar is because I wasn't like depressed all the time. It was like my moods were like elevated and then I'd be depressed and then Mm -hmm. elevated. And there was a lot of trauma around that time. My parents had gotten a divorce and Mm -hmm. just some things like that. Um, but so in the beginning, I really didn't understand it and wasn't really taking my medication like I should. I never did therapy. I was Mm -hmm. totally against therapy. Um, so I got into high school and, um, you know, just some things weren't normal. Like there was just times where I'm like, my mom was kind of like, this isn't normal for a teenager. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, you know, I was going to school, I played basketball, I did cross country, I did what a lot of teens did, you know? Um, but there were times where I was really depressed and looking back, like, that's another thing that I really, really try to talk to parents about is to look for signs in their, their teen kids, because I made every excuse in the book not to go to school. Sometimes I Mm. missed so much school. Um, I'd say I had stomach aches when really like now I know it was depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And it also really affected me in sports. Like I feel like I never reached my, my full potential because I was always just plagued with that depression and anxiety that would just come on whenever, you know, mm-hmm. there uh, with bipolar, it's really hard to know when something's coming sometimes. So 
anyway, I, I feel like I still had a really good high school. Like everything was good there. Um, there's of course some ups and downs. Um, and then college, um, I, you know, I went to BYU, Idaho. I, um, studied elementary education and I honestly, college was probably the happiest time in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, because thanks. I, <laughs> to that okay, point. Up to, to that, that point. point. Up to that point. <laughs> oh, okay. Thanks for clarifying. <laughs> that was perfect timing. Glad we're here. <laughs> um, if I could just go back. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's yeah. a perfect time. No, but college was very happy for me. I um, I think, you know, I was on, had my own routine. I could sleep in and take a class at like 10, you know, mm-hmm. like, I just had to worry about myself, nobody else, and my parents weren't pressuring me, you know, not that they meant to, but your parents always put pressure on you when you're in high school and stuff. Um, but dating was very interesting, yeah. Um, even up until this point, I questioned if I had bipolar, and I was terrified of telling people, mm-hmm. terrified. Um, I remember the first time that... So when JJ was on his mission, I did date a guy for a while. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a bachelor, bachelor uh-huh. confessional. About six months before he got home, I did date a guy. And um, there was, we were in a, the parking lot at, on campus. And I remember it clear as day. Um, we were having a conversation. And I just told him, you know, I um, was diagnosed with bipolar when I was 13. And he like physically like moved so far, like moved so far away from me. And in that moment, I felt cancerous. Mm. I felt diseased, like that I just had this contagious disease and it broke me. Like I was like, no one will ever love me wholly. I mean, no one will ever love all of me. Mm -hmm. I have to keep this secret until I'm in love with someone and then I'm going to have to tell them. I mean, obviously, like, this is going to affect them, too, you know? And so I was I was just really, really scared, and JJ helped me get through that. And do you want me to talk about that? <laughs> sure. Yeah, I'm curious, on JJ's end, was yeah. that scary for you? What was that conversation like when you yeah. found out? I think that I remember her saying something, like, I have something to tell you, and so I'm just like, oh, no what is this? You know, thinking the worst of what I could think of. And, and she said, I had bipolar and I'm like, that's it. He literally said, like, that, that's it. That's it. I mean, what, Aww. what else? Like, what do you, you know, if that's what you had to tell me. Cool. Awesome. Move and I on. was, I was just in tears. Like I <laughs> like for someone to go from recoiling, like you said, to just being like, that's it. Like he literally thought I was going to break up with him. And I, the feeling that I had, I was just like, this is my eternal companion. Like he Mm -hmm. loves me, all of me. When when she told me that she had bipolar, I didn't really know what that meant other than what everybody thinks, right? Mm -hmm. You have ups and downs right? and that they think that it's this rapid thing where, you know, one minute she's this way and one minute she's that way. And it's not the case at all. I mean, the, the bipolar that that I know or experience with Jenny and bipolar type two is, is not really these really high highs. It's more of just Jenny. And then she gets depressed for a period of time mm-hmm. and then she's herself for a long time it's it's very rarely is it ever this if at all this up and down high you know rapid mm-hmm. cycling type mm-hmm. thing so we were coming home from a 
a, uh, I think it was, was it Thanksgiving or something? No, it was before that. Cause we were coming home we from engaged. some family event or something and, and we were pretty close to her house and she started having a, an episode. So, I mean, that, that episode was the first time I'd experienced it and, and didn't really know what it was. I just thought she was, honestly, I didn't know. I just, I didn't know what was wrong. Mm-hmm. And so I just tried to get her home fast and. I was in a panic, hyperventilating, um, crying really hard. So, JJ, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's basically it, right? And so I didn't, there wasn't any thought of, oh, she's weird or crazy. It was just like, I need to help her. Like, what do I got to do? Like, how do I fix this? Because I, that's kind of my personality, you know, which Mm. has been something that I've had to work on and not try to be this fixer because the reality is I can't. You can't fix bipolar. You can't, you can't fix bipolar. You can't fix, um, you know, a lot of these mental health issues. It's more of just listening. And I still try to fix things today, even a little bit. But, yeah. you know, I think at that moment it was just more of I wasn't thinking about myself. So, um, you know, I knew, I knew I loved her, so it didn't really matter. Um, so he took me up to my room. I was still living at my parents' house because we were engaged, mm-hmm. newly engaged, two days engaged. And he carried me upstairs, and my parents followed up there. And um, my dad, bless his heart, uh, he, I could hear him say, um, she's going to scare him away. And my dad's old school. I love him. But he just doesn't get the mental health thing as well as other people do. Um, but my mom has always been my protector my angel, and it was almost like she was passing off the baton to JJ. I think she kind of like stepped in to help, and he just like looked at her and was just like, I got this, you know, Mm -hmm. and he just put a blanket over me, and he just slept by me until I fell asleep, and um, that was trivial. I mean, that was huge still for me. Like, I saw how kind he was and how well he handled that. Um, cause it's a big deal to mm-hmm. see like your spouse or fiance hyperventilating and crying and basically convulsing in the car. I mean, I was, I was just very sick. And so that was really a, I don't know. We connected really well in that and it was good for us. I like to hear that that situation brought you closer together. Definitely. That's a beautiful story. How, how has, um, that's like the first time things went down and you're like, Oh, stop thinking about yourself, take care of her. And you mentioned like you've had to kind of learn and grow over the years um, with regards to how you deal with like when an episode creeps up on you, tell me more about like how things have changed on your side as the husband, JJ. Um, like what have you had to, what have you had to learn? Yeah. So I think maybe first I would like to just kind of say kind of what it's kind of what it's like yeah, or kind of what paint know, a picture. her, her, you had to paint a picture about it. It not until we were married and living together, right on a daily basis and I took her to El Paso, which now I would have never done that. Mm-hmm. Um, he was doing summer sales. So we right. moved to El Paso, yeah. Texas. We moved to El Paso, Texas and 
Jenny doesn't doesn't like being in new places. The anxiety of of being in a in a place like El Paso um, definitely put her over over the edge more than 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 normal. Um, and I think at the beginning I was just more selfish. You know, it was more like I had expectations. And I think everybody has that, right? Yeah. And expectations of what the other should do, and and they have expectations expectations of you, and you both are going to fail at whatever those expectations are. So, kind of what I've learned, I guess, over over time, over the last kind of you know six years or so, has just been um, you're happier when you don't have expectations mm-hmm. at all when you give without expecting to receive. You know, when you just give, and if you don't have expectations. Then there's there's nothing for you to to feel let down for. Yeah. And in the end, you just got to believe that that uh, they're doing their best for you, and you're doing your best for them. And who cares about the expectations? Yeah. It's just going to take care of itself, right? And I there's as far as now when it happens, it's 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 still kind of hard because she will be Jenny, you know. And I, I say Jenny because it's it's her. It's it's who Jenny is. I don't I don't see you know Jenny as Jenny when she's having an episode or when she's depressed because she's constantly apologizing to me that I'm sorry that you know I'm depressed and sorry that you know I'm such a burden and and this or that and and I'm like at the beginning when it starts to happen I don't really see that happening. Um, sorry. So at the beginning, when, when that first starts to happen, when she first starts to go down into a depression, it's, I'm still not great at recognizing that, yeah. you know, I kind of need somebody to shout at me like, Hey, I'm depressed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not like, oh, I'm just not having a good day. I'm like, okay, well, you know, it takes me like a few of those, Hey, I'm not having a good day and louder. I'm not having a good day kind of a thing over a few days to realize, Oh wait, she's, she's depressed. And yeah. so I still struggle with, uh, what I just said and not having mm-hmm. expectations. Sometimes you have those expectations and I can get frustrated and, you know, not be, uh, I guess the best supporter for her in those times until I, my perspective changed. Right. And I can reframe it and say like this, Oh, she's not herself. You know, she's, mm-hmm. this isn't her fault. Mm. And what's happening right now is, is not something she's choosing to have happen. And, when I can do that and reframe it and have this different perspective, to me, perspective is, is life. You know, whatever your perspective is, um, you're going to make yourself happier or, or, or unhappy just yeah. by your perspective that you have. And so as soon as I can change that and reframe it, you know, it's, it's easy to, um, you know, take over the kids or do more because, um, you know, I can, I can, uh, I keep saying it, but get rid of those kind of those expectations of what needs yeah. to be done and, and do yeah. what. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I get you. It's just like, I mean, I think about how, uh, just like me and Angeline, you know, we we have our own struggles and like go through our own funks, and it's it's crazy how how quickly your perspective can change when you go from why is my partner behaving like this or like or you know, why are they in a bad mood? Why are they dragging? Why aren't they showing up the way that they normally do? And it, it can be really easy to fall into the blame. And the moment you go, Hey, they might actually be suffering right now mm-hmm. with something that's outside their control. Right. Like it pushes the empathy button. 
But right. sometimes it's really hard to find that empathy button because right. what you want is for things to be normal. And what mm-hmm. you want is for the routine that you've had the last three months to continue. And all of a sudden when that routine is disrupted and it's like, oh, we're like normally she cooks dinner on this night of the week and she didn't cook dinner. And like what happened to like what the, the, the things that normally are happening aren't happening inside the household. And it's really easy to go like, Hey, you're throwing things off and you're not pulling your weight. Mm-hmm. And then that switch flips and you go, Oh wait. And it would be really nice if there was an easier way to get that switch to flip. So that's, that's kind of what right. I'm getting from you is like, once you get what's happening, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I can step up my game. But there's that like moment between when it happens and when you realize it happened. Mm-hmm. It's like really hard to pick up on the the thing that's happening, so you yeah. can show up the way you want to show up. Right. I mean, it's it's it, there comes a, a time after right where there's that that lapse in time. Be you know when she's just herself or when they're they're themselves, and and you forget you're not on guard anymore. Yeah. So you're not ready for it when it comes, and. Um, I mean, I don't think that that may not ever change. You know, it may be really hard for that to ever change. I, and I think that's okay. You know, yeah. as long as I can reframe it or, or, um, you know, get the right perspective, the empathy, push that empathy button in time, then everything will be okay. But, uh, you know, so I, I love that you, you are like a student of your wife. <laughs> That's, he, it, he has learned a lot. I mean, he's gone to therapy with me before. Yeah. He's, um, we came up with a safety plan for. That's so great. I mean, I'm not just saying this because we're on your podcast, but I tell him this all the time. He's literally my angel on earth. Like he is, he wants to know what's going on with my health. And when he says like, oh, I'm not on guard. You know, this is, this is um, not out of the blue, but. When I get depressed, usually it is because of a trigger or a series of triggers that have just added up. Mm-hmm. But to the outside, it does look like, wow, what's wrong? She was happy yesterday. Like, mm-hmm. what happened? Um, and so JJ has said to me before, Jenny, just tell me you're depressed. Tell me that. Because he's right. Some days I say, I'm just having a bad day. And that could mean I'm just having a bad day. Mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, I have my own reasons for that because I am trying to suppress what I know is inevitably coming. Mm -hmm. I'm getting depressed. I know it, but I'm trying to just be like, oh, it's just a bad day. Mm -hmm. Like it'll be better tomorrow. Trying to do everything I can to not get depressed. So we've had to work on that a bit. Yeah. And you know, I'm, I'm, I think it's important to note though, that she says I'm this angel and whatever, but let's be honest. I mean, I'm definitely the trigger in a lot of those, a lot of those times sometimes, or when it starts to happen that I am the straw. Well, you do lose your wallet that, a lot. <laughs> I still haven't found that wallet, but if anybody finds an Idaho license, I need it back. Um, but no, I'm, I'm still the, you know, that straw that can break the camel's back a lot of times. They need to hear my fist pounding. Okay, good. Okay, this good. Is, it's, not, it's not too bad. Okay. It's okay. <laughs> how I talk. Yep. With authority. There we go. With a weekly hack. Right. right. <laughs> I like it. Um, yeah, like I just I just want to go back. Like I think it's I think it's really important that people become students of their partner. I think we lose a lot of times it's easy to lose that over time and to forget that your partner is nuanced and, and they're like, they're the person that you chose to be with and that they're constantly changing and we stopped paying attention. 
And, um, I think one of the greatest things that you can do is like really be the expert on who your partner is. And it sounds from what she says, it sounds like you're, you're putting in a lot of effort to do that. And I just think that's pretty awesome. Thanks. So, yeah, my goal was to give you props in that, that whole, and there you go. Now you have them. (laughs) You got the the husband props. (laughs) So Jenny, you mentioned, um, in college you had your own routine. You were able to have a little bit more control over that. When you get married, now you you add this new person into the mix. And babies. And now uh, a mental illness no longer is affecting just you. It's affecting other people. So how did you navigate that change? Right. So um, in college, there were still some bad times where mm-hmm. I'd be like, Mom, I'm coming home for the weekend. Or Mom, can you meet me halfway because I can't drive the hallway home. Mm-hmm. But I could hide it. And I could be fun still and hide it. Mm-hmm. Um, JJ always, I always feel bad cause it comes out the wrong way, but the bipolar disorder did come out swinging like full blast when we got married because as, as I've educated myself Back to that, you know, downhill from here, things what, what the happiest time in my life. Is that what she said earlier? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but see, I was 22 when I got married and what I've studied about bipolar disorder is that's pretty much the average age of onset for full bipolar, basically. Mm-hmm. So I had tendencies a lot in my childhood and I was medicated on and off or, you know, from 13 up. Um, but when I got married, woo, suddenly I was a wife and mm-hmm. had to take on the responsibilities of my husband. And that was some, those were some tough times. The first little bit of our marriage when we lived in El Paso. Um, and we just, I had to start being open with him and we had to figure out a way that we could work together through this illness because what people don't understand it a lot of, I mean, I should rephrase that a lot of people don't understand that mental illness, like it really is like, honestly, like having your legs cut off sometimes, Mm -hmm. like I am unable to function at times. So in the beginning of our marriage, like JJ saw like the times when I couldn't function and we've come a long way with communication and forgiveness and just being open about how we're feeling. And, um, so then we had kids. (laughs) Mm Um, I found out I was pregnant the day before I walked at graduation at BYU-Idaho. And, um, JJ actually was on scholarship playing football at the college of Idaho. And we were like, oh, well, this wasn't in the plans, but here we are. (laughs) Um, and I really, really struggled with postpartum depression about five months after my first was born. Um, and I actually ended up being hospitalized. Um, and it was a very sad and scary time. Um, I mean, my baby was five months old and I was away from him for like a week. It was very Mm -hmm. sad. And um, so after that, we we kind of tried to, you know, do some therapy. But I really just still was like, I'm okay, you know, like Mm -hmm. I can do this. And um, I was really against therapy. I don't know why. I just felt like my problems weren't good enough reason to go to therapy. Mm -hmm. And so, um, 
After that, we had Bowen, our second. So we have two sons, Carter and Bowen. And, um, sorry. <coughs> my throat. That's good. You're good. Um, after I had Bowen, things were really good. Like I felt like I was doing okay. And, um, and then some, we, some triggers came up where we were moving to Utah very suddenly for a job. And Bowen didn't sleep. And Bowen did not Aww. sleep. Oh, that's for two the stressful first, things. Yeah, for the yeah. first 10 months of his life, he did not sleep. Bowen, and if I, you're listening, we did not like you the first 10 months of yeah. your life. <laughs> and, you're not a pleasant baby. Yeah, no. And <laughs> Loved bipolar, you, but we didn't like you. <laughs> with bipolar disorder, um, sleep is, you need it. Oh, yeah. It's just, you need sleep really bad. And so um, I wasn't sleeping, and then... Um, we moved to Utah and, um, I was really sick, the sickest I've ever been in my life. Um, so at that point I had an 11 month old son and an almost three year old and I was confined to my bed. I was so sick. I did not want anything to do with them. I couldn't take care of them yet. At the same time, I didn't want anyone to know about it. So JJ was taking on this load by himself working and trying to just do all, I mean, it was so bad. And so we went home for the holidays and we stayed at his parents' house. I made sure we got the back bedroom so that we, I could escape. And I spent most of the time in there just crying, just so sick. And, um, I, so on Christmas morning, um, we were all opening presents and I looked at my kids and I was like, I feel nothing. I feel no joy mm. at all. In their, they're opening their presents and I felt no joy. Um, so I actually, um, I ended up being hospitalized on Christmas day. Mm. Yeah, so um, that was a really, really sad time. Um, just imagine being in the hospital on Christmas. Yeah. Just horrible. It's just, it was sad. And obviously, I was very sick to be even going to the hospital on Christmas. I mean, I was sick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so after that happened and I came out of the hospital, I mean, we are taking it seriously. Like, we're getting a game plan. You're going to therapy, you're getting a psychiatrist. Cause we had just moved to Utah and we're getting, we're getting this handled. Right. This isn't going to happen. No more again. Christmases in the hospital. No, right. Like we're going to get you figured out. And so, um, my mom and JJ visited me in the hospital. They printed out a paper that had a plan of what I was going to do. And, um, you know, they basically were like, you're going to follow this and this is going to be the plan. And I feel like this last year has been great. I mean, of course I have bipolar disorder, mm-hmm. so there's going to be lows regardless. There's nothing I can do about that. Mm-hmm. I, I go to therapy. I go, I take my meds, but I'm still going to have lows. Has therapy been helpful? Yeah, I think so. I really think it's been helpful. I, I have been able to open up to my therapist, which my mom would like schedule like appointments here and there when I was younger. And I just like sit there Yeah. and I just would feel uncomfortable and now, like starting the Lotus letter and like putting it out there has helped me be like, maybe I do have some trauma that I need to talk mm-hmm. about and work through. And so, 
Well, one of the things that you're feeling before, you know, is shame. Like, I don't want to tell anybody that I'm bipolar because they're going to say, oh, that makes sense. That's that's why she's this way or whatever. And so the shame that you feel um, is wearing at you for no reason. And then when you realize that you sh- when you share something like that, when you share it and put it out there for the world to see on a blog, um, that shame kind of doesn't have any more, any more power, right, yeah. over you. Like, yeah, so what? You know, and you realize that, that people aren't really thinking that, that the ones who love you and the ones who care, the ones that you actually interact with or are, are not judging you like you thought they would, they would be. And so I think that as well as the therapy, I mean, a lot of the issues that Jenny has had or the triggers that she has to deal with, um, are because she, she hasn't, you know, had the coping skills. Yeah. Right. You know, to, to not have bad self-talk or to realize that what's happening is not normal. I shouldn't be having these thoughts. How do I like reframe this or whatever? And, and kind of fix what's going on. And I think for sure it's, it's improves her, her ability to manage, you know, I mean, that's, that's kind of the name of the game. It's just being able to manage, mm. meaning you kind of know when, know when it's coming. And instead of denying that it's coming, you know, cause it's going to come just embrace it. You, yeah. Kind of embrace it and put yourself in a situation where you're not going to go really far down or, or, you know, so others know. And so mm-hmm. there's, there's pieces that are put into place to help you. Like before when she said she didn't want anybody to know, well then, um, th- how it would affect me is I'm not able to get help with my kids mm-hmm. so I can protect her, what she wants. Right. Um, so we don't allow other people to support us or help us when that's what we're supposed to do is just lift each other's burdens so that they feel light, you know? And, um, I think part of that too, though, is, is even when my family knows or when people know, they don't really know how to help. Mm-hmm. You know, they kind of just like, well, what can we do? You know? And I'm just kind of like, well, I don't know. You know, like, yeah. take my kids. I don't know. You know, so it's just hard to, to know. And so that's something that we've been working on and I haven't graduated yet. It's my last semester and I'm, we're I'm making a guidebook that's basically, and this is me learning at the same time I'm doing this, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah. Yeah. how to help somebody that you love, um, who's depressed, who's depressed how do you help them? Uh, well, like what's, what, what to do, what not to do kind of a thing. And hopefully it turns out good and can help others and help myself as well, you know, and be able to, yeah. to realize that. And what kind of sparked the idea of the guidebook for his senior project is when we came home for Christmas His family didn't know if it was right to say something to me, Uh, if you should not. Is Mm -hmm. it a sore subject? Is it going to make her feel worse? Do we acknowledge it? Do we pretend? So they didn't acknowledge it at all. And I was crushed. Mm -hmm. I thought, they don't care. They don't understand. I mean, I was was so hurt. Um, While they were thinking the whole time that... You know, they were doing the right thing. Right. Mm, they just right. didn't know. Right. And I think a lot of people don't know. They just don't know how to approach it. They don't yeah. know what to say or how to act. And so that's why JJ was like, you know what? I should do a guidebook. This is a PDF guidebook yeah. that people can download and just help them out. Like help out family members, loved ones, spouses, girlfriends, boyfriends, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think it's a great idea and I think it'll help a lot that's of people. That's awesome. That's brilliant. Yeah, I love that. You'll have to let us know when it's. What do you, what do you <laughs> we have to finish it now? What are you studying? <laughs> What's that? What are you studying? Business. Cool. Kind of an HR thing is is, is yeah, yeah. how I'm tying it into it. So definitely, I love how you talked about shame too. I think uh, I, 
is it Bernie Brown that talked about how shame needs uh, three things to survive? Secrecy, silence, and judgment. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. And when you, when you live in a culture where um, perfectionism is kind of celebrated and and weaknesses are um, difficult to admit, where maybe I know I, I don't want to speak for you guys, but the way I was raised is that your job is to lift up other people and not to be lifted. Like mm-hmm. you're supposed to do the lifting. You're supposed mm-hmm. to do the helping. You're mm-hmm. supposed to do the serving. Um, but you're not supposed to be the one who's served. You're not supposed to be the one who's suffering. Like we have the plan of happiness. We're all supposed to be happy and we're supposed mm-hmm. to be like on our way to perfection. We're not supposed to be the ones who struggle. Um, mm-hmm. and so there's like a lot of pressure right. to not struggle. And then when you do, you don't want anybody to know because heaven forbid your life isn't perfect or you know, something, something might be wrong. You might be in need mm-hmm. and that shame factor can just kick in hardcore in a culture like that where oh, yeah. you just fall deeper and deeper into a pit. And like, I like the idea that you were saying, like, if you have a plan, the dips don't have to be as deep. Like if you have a plan and a support system in place, but if you tackle mm-hmm. it alone, sometimes it feels like the bit, the pit is bottomless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, so, so you're working on this guide right now. You guys are working on a plan and, and making things better. What advice would you have for people who are listening who are like, Oh man, my, you know, my partner really is struggling from time to time with depression or they're like, this is a thing that's going on in our life right now. How can I be a better partner? What, what advice would you give them? Um, JJ always just gently shakes me, (laughs) puts his hands on my shoulders and just says, Jenny, this is just a small time compared to the eternal perspective. And it helps me just like take a second to be like, okay, this is going to end. Like there's an end to this. And I am, I have joy in my life. Mm -hmm. I do have a lot of joy, but I also have a lot of really, really low times. Um, And then another bit of advice I would give that JJ and I always talk about too is um, love your spouse. They're not, they are not their disorder. So, or their Mm. illness, they are who you fell in love with. And obviously there's many great qualities they have. Don't judge them based on that small amount of time that they're suffering. Mm. Um, And I sometimes will be like, why me? Like, why do I have bipolar? Why did I put this on JJ? Why will my kids have a depressed mom? Um, And, you know, JJ has really helped me at times when I'm saying that, be like, Jenny, other people have trials too. Mm -hmm. Like, you think their life is perfect? Maybe they'll have a granddaughter that has depression. Mm -hmm. Or maybe, I mean, they're they're endless, right? The trials are just endless. And... So I've kind of stopped comparing myself in that regard as far as like my trials are worse than their trials. You know, I honestly believe wholeheartedly that Heavenly Father gave me these trials so that I could help others. Mm -hmm. I just know it. I have accepted that and I know that that's my purpose here is to just spread awareness about mental health and be an advocate. And the number one cause of me doing this is a supportive spouse. If he wasn't supportive, there's no way I could be doing this right now. In fact, he was the one that told me I should write the Lotus letter. He said, you're such an amazing writer. You need to be writing a blog about mental health. Because I was terrified of telling people, you know, Mm -hmm. with past experiences. So I would just say, be supportive to your spouse. Love them. Just, they're not their disorder. They're not their illness. 
this will pass and in the eternal perspective things will be better and in regard to the the spouse that is struggling with mental health do all you can you go to therapy you mm-hmm. take your medication you go exercise if that's what you need to do you do everything you can to be better because you want to be there for your family and mm. truly be your best so that would be my advice your 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 mental illness is not your fault but it is your responsibility right i love that yeah yes i love that yeah take charge of it just you know there are ways that you can cope with it and there are ways that you can live life like totally. therapy has really taught me that that i can have coping skills and i can get over things get over trial or you know just the day-to-day trials yeah mm-hmm. i can i can improve myself and work towards that so right and as the you know as the spouse looking at it that way it's that's the hardest thing to not have expectations for is you know you still kind of have that expectation of you got to do everything that you could do so mm-hmm. if you stop taking your medication or you don't go to therapy or whatever you know the things that they're going to help you you don't do one of those things and then this <laughs> yeah. happens it's harder to have that empathy and compassion when ultimately you still should no matter what right yeah and just believe they're doing their best and um I think, you know, for me, I think the, the the best thing that I can do when she's struggling is just the reassurance because there's really nothing else I can do, right? And let me tell you, it, it is annoying. <laughs> <laughs> it can get pretty annoying, right? To just constantly be reassuring that, yes, I love you or, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, like you're a good mom, <laughs> you know, you're a good wife. It's like... You know, because it's it, it it's something that repeats. Where those are the thoughts that thoughts that she's having, and to me, um, it's they're just so ridiculous to me that she would think that of herself. That it it just it's one of the things that tests my patience. He, he always says to me, "Why can't you just see yourself through my eyes?" Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think when he's saying like it's annoying, it's like it's probably he's a bad just, word for it. Yeah, probably <laughs> no, a bad word. I, actually, just, it's pretty annoying. It's he's, relatable. He's like frustrated that. I'm in such a bad state that I'm now thinking I'm a terrible mom. Well, really, it, I'm a good mom. It, it feels like that you're, you know, you're putting words, you're quoting me when you're saying these things when it's not yeah. me. You know what I mean? Like you're putting words in my mouth that oh, yeah. I'm like, saying these things. Like and you think I'm way. such a burden or, right, right. or are you mad at me? Mm-hmm. Always. At, well, yeah. I totally get what you're saying now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I'm always just like, are you mad at me? Or I'm sorry. I'm so depressed. I'm sorry. You know? So yeah, I get you. I got you. Yeah, I think some of our, our biggest arguments as a couple have been like when Ange is being really hard on herself and I'm like, I would not, like if somebody else said what you're saying to you, if I heard a guy, like if some dude right. walked up to you and said the thing that you're saying to yourself right now, I I would lay him out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. And, and I won't tolerate, if I won't tolerate yeah. somebody else saying that about you, I'm right. not going to tolerate you saying that about you. He right. always tells me, don't treat my wife that way. Oh, that's cute. Don't treat my wife but it's, that it, way. It's still in that. Essentially, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what it is. Like right. you, sometimes, and I get it, like you, you get sucked into these these pits and you, ha- it, like it just feels terrible yeah. and you have these self-doubts, but man, that self-talk is important. And if you can have somebody who calls you out, like you're being a jerk to yourself right now right. and I'm not going to, I love you. I love my wife way too much to let anybody talk to her that way. Even you. Yeah. It's uh, I think it's a pretty that's powerful. Very, yeah. Very powerful. A powerful mm-hmm. little statement. Right. Yeah. Totally get that feeling. It's... Thank you for that advice. 
Very good advice. Yes, super good advice. I just had one last thought just based off of what you guys were, were talking about. So one of the statistics um, that I hear a lot in the marriage world is there's this guy named John Gottman, and he's like the godfather of marriage research. And one of the things he found in his like 40 years of research is that 69% of conflicts in marriage are unresolvable, meaning they don't go away. They come back over and over and over again. And I think mental health is one of those unresolvable conflicts. You, it's not like a, it's not a problem that comes up and you find the answer and then it goes away forever. You know, it's something that you learn to manage as a couple. And I was talking to Laura Heck, um, who she's been on my podcast a bunch of times and, um, she's spoken at a bunch of our date nights and we, we chat a lot about marriages. She's a marriage therapist. And, um, one of the things she says is most heartbreaking is when a couple comes in her office and one person comes in and, um, basically they've drugged their partner there and they list off a, a litany of problems that they have with their partner that they want them to change. It's like, if they were just like more on time and more organized and less sad all the time and you know, all these things, um, our marriage would be so much better. And all the things they list off are, are those unchangeable things that are just part of who they are. And she's like, what I hear them say is I would just love my partner if they were somebody else. Mm. You know, if these, if these things that are just who they are in their character would just change, man, our life would be so much better and I would be so much happier. And I, I hear that a lot. Like I get emails every day from couples who are like, I'm struggling because my husband, this or my wife, that, and what I, what I hear you saying, JJ, when you talk about like lowering your expectations and having no expectations is like really just accepting your partner for exactly who they are. Like you were saying, Jenny, mm-hmm. um, accept your partner for who they are with their, with their faults. Mm-hmm. And if you can't do that, like if you can't accept your partner with their faults, really what you're saying is that you don't love your partner. You love a version of your partner that doesn't exist. Right. The version and, that you want, like yeah, right. you the wish version you had. that you expectation, the right. ideal, and, right. and that ideal doesn't this. exist. Right, and it's crazy how, like, one, how miserable it is to be married to somebody like that right. because you're a constant disappointment. Mm-hmm. That's when people start saying, like, nothing I ever do is good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing I can do to make you happy because they constantly feel insecure and inadequate. Like, I can't. There's things about me that I just can't change. You know, like you can't just magically snap your fingers and, and bipolar goes away. Right. You know, that's just, you either we tried that. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You can't, you, you tried the finger snapping thing. Tried it a couple of times. But like, do you know what I mean? It's like you, yeah. if you could make it go away, you would. And so you either love me with it or you don't love me. Right. You love a version of well, me that doesn't exist. And here's the thing. He fell in love with me. Right. He fell in love with me. He didn't fall in love with my disorder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it is a part of me. But the thing that we just, I mean, we, we look back on all those letters for two years yeah. and, are fun dating and engaged and there's so much love between us that it's almost like we can conquer it all, you know? Mm -hmm. And I just, I don't know. I honest, honestly, it's, it's more of just looking forward like that. This is just earth, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if, if I wasn't a member of the church, didn't believe in eternal families, didn't have the gospel, um, what would be the point? You know, why would we get married? We wouldn't. We would all just be our carnal selves that were naturally, you know, here mm-hmm. until we get rid of it, you know. And I think that um, without that perspective, yeah, it would be super hard. I don't know how people do it. I don't know how people go through what they go through and, and for what, you know, just to. Mm-hmm. 
it's a helpful perspective to have. It is. Right. I mean, without Mm -hmm. it, it's, and and I know it's true, you know, without a doubt, there's no doubt that, that, uh, families are forever as long as we're faithful and enter into our covenants we're supposed to enter into and, and, and be faithful to them. And so, you know, come what may and love it, whatever. And I think that, that attitude is, is what's helped. And I'm, I'm glad you kind of rephrased the way I said it in that the, the whole no expectations. And it's yeah. not like, you know, I don't care, whatever, right. you know, right. just be, be worthless be or whatever. whatever. <laughs> it's, kind of, no. it's, it's totally just accepting who we are. And, and I, I really believe that giving without, you know, expecting to receive something, uh, you'll be happier. I mean, I think it's, that's pretty much proven. Try it out. It'll work. And, <laughs> and you'll receive more than, than what you would have expected if you were expecting something, right? And so I'm still working on that. Oh, but, it's a process, man. I'm right. with you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we'll probably get in the fight on the way home. It's okay. <laughs> but whatever. Cool. That's great. <laughs> but think you had this 54-minute conversation that went yeah. great, aside from uh-huh. the sound issues at the very uh-huh. beginning. Right. And we'll have this recorded for your posterity, so you can always look back on what it feels like to have an hour of, like, not... Not right. Fighting. So. Turn on your blinker. <laughs> <laughs> Slow down. Oh yeah, that's another piece of advice. Just, just don't drive for your husband. Just, just let him drive. You know what I mean? <laughs> don't tell him the light's green. Like we know it's green. Sorry, our foot didn't push the pedal fast enough. You feel so validated right now. I. I we all feel this way. You know, yeah. we're going to Idaho, and she's like, "You might want to get in the right lane." We're in Salt Lake. Like we got yeah. 200 miles to go. You know. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that my, bad. But my, so do you get the? Do you get the? <gasps> Oh, oh, my, oh my gosh, what? It's yes. like, I saw a squirrel. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought I, I thought just ran over a kid. Somebody, yeah. you know? yeah. I'm like, so that do we run or time. do we, you know? He's like, yeah. don't do that voice. Don't do that. And I'm like, what voice? I know. <laughs> Uh, I, do? I, so. I do feel validated right now. Thank you. I'm really glad you guys came over. Thank you for sharing your story with yeah. us. Thanks yeah. for the invite. Yeah, it was yeah. fun. You bet. So where can our listeners find you? Um, so I created an Instagram account called the Lotus letter and mm. it's the period Lotus period letter. <laughs> Perfect. Got it. Um, period. and then if you go to no my Instagram, no yeah, no period at the end. <laughs> Just want to make that clear. Um, if you go to that Instagram account, my blog, um, it's right link. there. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. it's in the links in the bio Yeah, links in the bio. <laughs> um, and then I will also post about the um, guidebook PDF on that account cool. as well. And we'll link continue. to your Instagrams and yes. blog in the, in our, this episode Perfect. On, the, on our blog as well. So All right. thanks Great. guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for listening to today's show. Yes. Thank you. Uh, if you enjoyed what you heard today and it struck a chord with you, we would love it if you do one of a couple of things. One, it means a lot to us when we get a rating or a review from a listener It also helps other people who are in search of really great content about marriage to find it on iTunes. So if you're on an iPhone, um, just pop on over. It takes 15 seconds to just give us a rating and a review. We'd really appreciate that. And um, also, if you know somebody that might benefit from hearing this episode and the content therein, please share it. You know, take a little screenshot and put it on Instagram and maybe tag us. Um, Share it with your friends and let them know that this is something that you enjoyed. And lastly, before you go, if, especially if you are a wife and you are interested in getting more out of your marriage by doing less starting in January, the first week of January, go to epicwivesexperiment.com and you can partake in the amazing experiments that Laura Heck 
and I are putting together for you. So we're really excited about that and want to give you a, an awesome opportunity to kick 2020 off as the most epic year of your marriage ever. Mm, that sounds nice. It's going to be so <laughs> nice and so much fun. I'm really yes. excited about it. All right. We love you. We will see you next week. Bye.